Hey, hey, welcome to the Vagistine Podcast. It's Vanessa here, and you know we're having courageous conversations about love, sex, and everything in between. And today, we have on Janae Cook, who is going to tell us everything about MRKH. And so, hey, Janae, how are you? Girl, I am amazing. <laughs> um, how? <laughs> I've been doing a lot of traveling. I actually just got back from Charleston, South Carolina. I was a support group called Sisters Surviving Fertility. So we were in Charleston from Thursday up until Sunday. I saw my friend uh, Monday, another city. So yeah, I'm just getting back yesterday. But yeah, girl, it was amazing. So I'm on my chill mode. I'm happy to be <laughs> on the show. <laughs> what I'm trying to do like May. It has been a long time. It has I think been, it's August. It has been a really long time. I don't know what... You know what? No, I do know what. Because when we were supposed to record it, we had some scheduling issues. And then I was like, I have to take a break. And you, <laughs> you yes, were like... <laughs> my life kicked in. And I was like, sis, take your break. I get it. We were actually having a moment at the same time. We was like, I was like, I'm so tired. Right I, can't, I can't keep recording. I got to take a break for the summer. So I appreciate actually <laughs> your patience with me because this was supposed to happen months ago. Yeah, no, likewise. Like, even when I sent you that long behind email, all you said back was, sis, I get it. I said, okay, I felt all of her spirit. <laughs> sis is tired. I am sis. I said, okay, cool. We're going to do it when it's the right time. You were, trying to, you were giving me, like, all the excuses. I was like, listen, I am ready to crawl in this bed, too. I will make do with whatever show I got this week. We're going to make it happen. Girl. So, yes, I appreciate okay. that you are on. So, Janae, tell us about yourself and what got you interested and started in your work. Uh, about myself, yeah. I am 29. I'm a full-time writer in Jacksonville, Florida. Cool. As far as my work, I am, I guess you can say, like an MRK advocate. I don't really consider myself an activist just yet, but I started a support group, uh, which I mentioned, Sister Surviving Infertility, last year. It's just for, um, you know, specifically black women with MRKH. Um, it's been a journey. I love my group. As I mentioned, we just had our first girls trip. Yay. It was lit. Lots of tears. You know, we did community service. Um, as far as like starting the group, I was diagnosed, I want to say, 11 years ago when I was 18. Before and you so, get, well, before you go there, what is MRKH? Because oh. I know you about to. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't dive right in. I was like, wait, you okay. about to give us a story and I'm ready for it. But for those who don't know, what is MRKH? Yes. MRKH is a condition in which the woman's reproductive system doesn't form fully. Hmm. So there's different variations, different symptoms. For me, I was born without fallopian tubes, a uterus, a cervix, and a vaginal canal. Oh, wow. So it's actually common to not have the vaginal canal. Like, one thing I don't like about the news and the media is that they say, the woman is born without a vagina, without a uterus. That's technically correct, mm -hmm. but it just, to me, it intimidates and scares people. Because like I said, when I was diagnosed, I was 18, and I was just dumbfounded. Like, I was scared when I first heard about it. So that's the gist of it. Since we don't have a uterus, we can't carry a pregnancy, mm -hmm. and we don't have a menstrual cycle where we bleed. But we do have, you know, period symptoms, We, you know, the cramps. The fact that we don't have the uterus means that we can't carry a pregnancy and we don't have, like I said, the menstrual cycle where we don't bleed. So, you know, we cramp. Some of us do have, um, we go through like ovulation if we do have ovaries. 
you know, for me, I get like, you know, really bad um, headaches, mm-hmm. hot flashes. So, and oh my God, I get so moody and I get very emotional. So, for me, it's like crazy because it's like I don't bleed, but I go through it with y'all. I don't understand. (laughs) Like, that's the thing. You would think, because I think some of us out there are thinking, like, oh, no period? Yes, but you don't even have a, you said you don't have a uterus? No. So, you don't even have a uterus and your body is still like, but guess what we're about to do? Ta-da! Like, that doesn't... Oh, my gosh. That's so fascinating. No, it really is. And so, when I'm looking it up, so M-R-K-H stands for Mayor Rokitansky Custer Hauser Syndrome. So, just for those who just have never heard of it. And for those out there, I had... out to me for a workshop and that person then put me on to you and they were like and basically this person had pitched a show idea which is what I keep telling y'all y'all could pitch show ideas we're gonna do the research we're gonna get into it but they pitched a show idea and they were like you should probably examine vagisteam from a perspective from a person who doesn't even have a vaginal canal or someone who doesn't have you know, you know, who does not have of a, you know, uh, the uterus and all the inside parts. And I was like, wait, what? And so <laughs> that night I started like looking it up and I, and I just hadn't ever, ever, ever heard about it. So how did you find out that you had it? And I know you said at 18, you found out, but what was that process like? For me, my doctor was worried because I didn't have my cycle yet. So you can mm. find out about it, or I guess, you can be diagnosed as early as two years old to like your late teens. Mm. But I was 17 and my doctor said, if she doesn't have her cycle by 18, you know, something's not, you know, right. So we need to do like, you know, an exam. So when I turned 18, he tried to do um, like a pelvic exam. Mm-hmm. And then when he tried to, of course, like, you know, insert his finger for the um, pap smear, he was like, wait, there's no opening. So, of course, we're just like, what? What? Because, like, I had a vaginal... Right, just like 18. I'm just like, what you talking about? So, <laughs> I had... <laughs> it was scary because I was just like, bro. Like, because I had tried to have sex before, but I thought that I was too tight. So, oh. I had a vaginal dimple. Yeah, I had a vaginal dimple. And he sent me to another OBGYN. She couldn't, you know, get anything in there. She's nervous. Then I went to... um Another doctor, I got an MRI, I got, um, oh my God, what is it called, an ultrasound, mm-hmm. and that's when I noticed I didn't have the uterus. So the whole process itself took about two and a half months. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and it's my senior year in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to start applying for colleges, worried about prom. It was like, probably like the most devastating news, I think, at that time of my life. You know, just being so young, you know? Mm-hmm. So when you say, when you said that they were examining and you said that you had a vaginal dimple, what, whew, whew, okay. Th- th- when you're learning things, you're saying that you don't actually have a vaginal opening? And so sorry no, if do. I'm like completely digging all in your business. 
Oh, no, no, you're <laughs> fine. Yeah, I had a dimple, meaning like you could see where the opening should be, but of course it wasn't there. So I had to have surgery in college in order to um, create the vaginal canal. Shut up! Yes, it's a lot. Like, it's a hell of a journey, but like I will say, like you said, it's just super fascinating. Like, I saw my cousin, she was like, bro, like, you're lucky to be alive. Like, this is just so unique, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay. All right. Because I'm trying to imagine this. So, you were born, everything was fine in life, you're going about your business, and you have clitoris lips urethra of course because you have to urinate but as far as the opening it didn't it it didn't it wasn't like a canal like going inside of your body right and it's one of those things where you don't really i don't want to say you don't notice it yeah but you just don't because i know my cousin she asked me too you know she's like well you didn't think to you know put a finger up there right or look like i just never thought to so that's so interesting and so finally when you found out after this two and a half months they were like okay let's create was it create was it giving you any issues before i guess Mm-mm. that's the thing i mean like i would have period cramps yeah i thought that i was starting my cycle yeah but it would go away like, I remember, like, in ninth grade, I was in math class, and I thought my period was starting because I had this really, like, I don't know, it was this tightness between my legs. It was really weird. Yeah. It felt really, like, tight. I was just like, what the hell is going on? And I started um, cramping really bad. Like, I literally had to go to the nurse. And so I thought I was going to get it later on at night, and I didn't. So I would have, like, these weird, like I said, cramps and stuff, and it would just stop. So. Yeah. Okay. And then, so after they found this out, they were like, let's basically essentially create a vagina for you and a vaginal canal opening for you. And what was that process like? Well, they wanted me to do what's called dilation or dilating. Mm -hmm. So it looks like a dildo. Mm -hmm. That's like the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. And so what you do is apply pressure um, at the opening of the vagina and it stretches the muscle because essentially like your vaginal canal is a muscle mm-hmm. and so for me they wanted me to start that off you know that process because for one I was as you can imagine very emotional right and they really don't I, mean, I guess it depends on the person but they didn't suggest surgery for me like just right away mm-hmm. and so you know I went to FAMU of course I had you know roommates and so I didn't have any privacy to even dilate <laughs> so right girl yeah. I mean, literally like the funniest thing ever my roommate walked in on me as I was dilating however you know I did have the covers over me and I had a book in my lap so from oh my the angle, it looked like I was reading <laughs> and I was like oh my god this is petrifying <laughs> and like we hated each other so it's like had she known what I was doing we're good now girl right but had she known child I would have just been like mortified and, you know like with black people we don't tell our business like that so nobody knew on campus like at all oh my goodness so it was so isolating okay. and so um Kind of getting back on track. Yeah, yeah. When I was 22, I believe. Yeah, 22. I had a procedure called the Vecchietti. It's kind of hard to describe, but um, you can, like, Google it. But I placed, okay, so the doctor had to, like, place this device on my stomach. It looks like a small planner. 
And so there's two knobs on um, the left and right side. And so they had to, let me see how to describe it, tie like this string attached to it. And like the string went into kind of like a uh, a gumball. And there was a needle on the gumball, right? Oh, boy. And so every time I know, <laughs> every time they would twist the knobs on the left and right side, it's like the gumball would go up my vaginal canal. It was excruciating. Like, I ended up getting an infection on one of my incisions. I was in the hospital for like a week. It was like, oh, it was aggravating. And then I had to like wear my dilator, you know, like that way um, my walls wouldn't close. So I had to dilate for about, I want to say like a year and a half. Oh, my gosh. I know, girl, that's a lot. <laughs> oh, man. Yes, yeah. I went. I lo- I'm looking it up as you're saying it. So they have here um, the Vecchietti procedure has been shown to result in a vagina that is comparable to a. Qu- they said normal vagina. I don't like that word. I'm going to say quote normal vagina in patients in the Vecchietti procedure. A small plastic olive is threaded against the vaginal area, and the threads are drawn. God. How did you survive? I can't even read it. And the threads are drawn. <laughs> the threads are drawn through the vaginal skin, up through the abdomen, and through the navel using laparoscopic surgery. The threads are attached to a traction device. The operation takes about forty-five minutes. The traction device is then tightened daily, so the olive is pulled inward and stretches the vagina by approximately one centimeter per day, creating a vagina approximately seven centimeters deep in seven days. Although it can be more than this, Lord. All that. Just imagine, like my doctor explaining that to me. I was like, "What the hell?" Right. So, but Jeez. I mean, the good thing about it was it was successful. I didn't have any complications. I was young, too. You know, I worked out. I tried to, you know, healthy. So I wasn't really like, you know, I was the best candidate in a sense. It was actually my doctor's first time doing the surgery as well. Get the hell out. And even with him, because they actually do it in Europe. Mm. And so they actually, like, they filmed my surgery and everything. And he was impressed. So I had a really great doctor. And that's what really, like, you know, helped out the process a lot. And so I guess for, I guess, I mean, I don't know if you would know this, but for folks with... With um, MRKH, I know that there's various procedures here. I see that some people are experimenting with uterine transplantation. Some people are looking at IVF and embryo embryo transfers if they want to carry. And there seems to be a ton of different treatments. The Vecchietti, like you were saying, there's another one that's called the McIndo procedure where a skin graft is applied to form an artificial vagina. Do you think that all of this is, I don't want to say necessary, but like, do you think when your doctor saw you finally and they were like, okay, what's going on with you after going 18 years, you know, without, you know, without having a vaginal canal, did you feel like, oh, wow, like this now affords me an opportunity to do something different or have, you know, penetrative sex or what what were some of the reasons that your doctor gave to, like, go ahead and have this procedure, although it seemed like you were, I guess, fine for the first 18 years? Well, I mean, for one, he did give me the option. He said, if you, you know, you don't want to dilate, we'll do the surgery. If you don't want to do anything, let me know. And hmm. so that's what really made me feel at ease because okay. it was my decision. Gotcha. My mom did, you know, encourage me because, for one, 
you know, of course, he told me, if you turn 26, they take you off the insurance. True. <laughs> your, mom, your mom was thinking, like, <laughs> she was like, listen, we got logistics right. to handle here. No, and I'm so glad that she did, because, like, when I say my surgery cost, about like forty six thousand dollars. It was something oh, just wow. outrageous. Wow. Right. And so being in college, you know, I had really no choice but to do it because she's like, girl, so Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I did because it really did save me, you know, like a lot of time and money. We only ended up, ended up paying like under a hundred dollars. My dad had TRICARE and kinda of like veering off. What's interesting is that certain insurance companies consider um certain surgeries sex changes. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So that, so for some, I guess for some, it depends on the insurance that you have, if they were going to even cover it or not. Right. Like I said, I met one girl. It was like my first um, MRK meetup. That was the first time I'd ever heard about that. Hmm. So at that time, you know, she was trying to raise money through like, you know, GoFundMe, you know, just reaching out to her family members. But if she was going through it and I was just like, wow, like I said, I can't get into, you know, all of that. But, yeah. you know, just hearing it is like, it just made me realize how blessed I was, you know? Yeah. So what made you actually go through with the surgery besides like, you know, getting older and, and potentially your insurance not covering it if you did want to have surgery, but what made you even, you know, go through with it? I mean, I wanted to have sex. <laughs> I wanted to have, I did. I wanted to have a natural, not natural, I wanted to have a normal, in a sense. I hate that word, too. Yeah, I wanted to right. have, like, an active sex life, and I just did it. Like, honestly, it was the best decision ever, you know. Like I said, I'm so glad I did it when I did, because, you know, with dilating, not only did it hurt, yeah. but it's just also emotional, because it's like a reminder, you know, of MRKH. It's so emotional and even with like my dilator set it was so large like even the smallest one was large and my doctor like he gave me great instructions but mm-hmm. he didn't really have any bedside manners so <laughs> just like he just told me order this set this is how you do it and then he didn't check in on me like he literally just left me hanging so like I said after I got caught my roommate I was like I'm done you know so I wasn't worried about it like I said it's on my mom so yeah, girl. Stay out it. I just want some dick. No, I mean, <laughs> hey, I mean, listen, I, I totally get it. So when you finally started getting, you know, you started, you started getting used to um, having MRK, M- MRKH and it sounded like you had a support system. What were some of the things that I guess that you were, and it sounds like your group called Sisters for Surviving Infertility what made you start that group and what, and I guess what lessons learned have, have you, have you gotten from, from starting the group and with the other women in the group? Let me see. For me, um, like I was saying, like when I was diagnosed, it was like no black women at all. Mm. And that was really huge for me because I feel like, you know, representation really does matter. And so I had joined other support groups, but you know, even still, like, there really wasn't a lot of black women in them. They weren't active. So, like, I just figured, okay, if I do something like this, I'm not going to lie, I was petrified to start one because I didn't know if I was particularly ready. Mm-hmm. And it was just the thought of, I don't want to say being responsible for other people, but in a sense, like, leading the way and, you know, still going through my own moments. Even now, like, I've accepted it, mm-hmm. but I still have my moments where I get down. Mm. And so I just like to say, I wanted to create like, you know, a safe space for us 
where, you know, we can talk freely. And, you know, one thing with black women, too, we go through racism on top of, you know, sexism and everything else. Right. And I also wanted us to have, uh, you know, just resources. Like, you know, when I go to different conferences, a lot of time I'm the only black woman. And so, you know, I just peace game. I just, you know, I try to get as many doctors information as I can. Yeah. And this, like, you know, spread it to my sisters. We don't have, you know, in a sense, that privilege. Right. So, and as far as the lessons, I mean, what have I learned? It's taught me patience, mm-hmm. um, just more compassion. Because, like, one thing with me, and <laughs> my grandmother can tell you, like, I am so enthused. Like, every time I post something, I pray over it. Like, this is my baby. Yeah. And sometimes for me, I have to realize that, you know, we're all at different points of our journey. So it's like, I can encourage, but I can't, in a sense, force someone to accept it just yet. Because it took me, what, eight, nine years? You know what I'm saying? Wow. So I just try to, like, you know, allow people to post when they want to, when they can. And, you know, just make sure they know that. You know, if they're not active, they're still getting comfortable that this is a space for you. And so how do you find the members of the group? And how common how common is MRKH? Um, as far as common, it's like one in every 5,000 women. Oh, wow. So if you think about FAMU's population, there was about 13,000 students when I was enrolled. So it was, of course, me and then another random woman walking around campus. There was no way in fuck's hell we were gonna bump <laughs> into each other because it's like you know MRKH like and some women so I'm kind of going you know back but as far as like the symptoms you know some women have issues with their hearing uh, with their back you know some women have uh, you know like one kidney one gallbladder like one thing that I am experiencing now is that I have throbbing like kidney pain and it's something that I'm gonna eventually look into only because. You know, it's kind of scary. Like, I'll just be laying down, and I can just feel my kidney, like, pulsating. So I'm not sure if that's a, you know, symptom of my cage or something else. But that's the uh, the occurrence. And what was the second part? <laughs> oh, I was just asking, how how do the women find, um, oh, how find, I find the group? Them. Okay. So I actually go through different support groups that I'm a part of. And if, you know, the woman looks like she's, you know, African-American, Hispanic, you know, I just add them. You know, I have, like, one generic message, like, you know, hey, sis, my name is Janae. I created space for us. Like, you know, may I add you? And mm. I just go on from there. So right now we're at about 82 members. Um, it's actually on Facebook, too. Okay. But, yeah, we have 82 members. I know we have, like, a girl in Brazil. We have a handful in Africa. We have a lot in the States. I did try to, like, keep the members in the U.S. only because it's hard, obviously, trying to, you know, connect with, you know, women in Africa that's so far, right. you know? And even with our support group trips, you know, I obviously wanted to, you know, be where we can actually meet up in person. So that's how I do it. I had to, like, you know, be creative because with MRKH, it's so, like, unknown. Right. And, you know, it's like, how do you find a group? You know what I'm saying? Like Exactly. Exactly. It's so, yeah, it was interesting because the woman who put me in touch with you – she was a white woman and she was like, I know your podcast, you know, is it, you know, focuses and highlights, you know, black women and women of color. And, you know, like she, and she definitely moved aside. She was like, I'd love to, but like, I think, you know, we have to elevate, you know, this, you know, this support group and what, you know, you were doing. So I was like, okay, that's great. Um, but it's just interesting because when I think about, even when I'm just the small research that I was doing on MRKH, um, it just seemed like some of the symptoms like of just like 
oh, like not being able to get pregnant or not having your period, like it, for a lot of people, it's, you know, that's, that's very common, especially I guess when folks are really deciding like, oh, I'd love to like have a child. And then that's when they find out like these things are happening. And so I think that, yeah, I think it's just very interesting that like we have a name for it. And I'm glad that doctors are becoming, I guess, like you said, your doctor is becoming, is, is a good doctor and they were able to help you. But I can't imagine how many women are out there not knowing that they have this or thinking that something's wrong with them and kind of suffering in silence. Yeah, I can only imagine. I know I had one girl reach out to me and she was just recently diagnosed and it was like, what the hell is this? Like, that's, <laughs> that's like the initial shock. You know what I'm saying? Because like, even when my doctor diagnosed me, my initial doctor, he literally just said, you don't have a vagina, you don't have a period, here's a list of four groups. It's like, what? <laughs> like, you have to go into detail. And like what I really do like about the conferences that we attend and we meeting um there's a group called beautiful you so I actually spoke to a a medical conference through that organization and so it was just really interesting just to see the doctor's responses because like you know they deal with patients every day but it's like we had to remind them like you know how you deliver that diagnosis yeah it really does dictate how a woman heals because for me and I say, like, that depression was real because I was diagnosed um, the spring of 2009, mm-hmm. and then I went to FAMU that fall. So it was like I only had that summer to try to process it, and then I was going straight to college. You know what I'm saying? Like, a whole new environment away from my family. Right. It was a lot. It was so much. Like, I dealt with social anxiety, you know, like, self-harm. I mean... It was just terrible. And, like, I didn't feel like I had anybody because, for one, I will say, like, rooming with girls is a lot. Like, I'm the oldest. I'm spoiled. And (laughs) so, like, you know, even (laughs) – I am spoiled as shit. (laughs) And, like, you know, even hearing women talk about, like, their cycles and different things that I don't go through, for me, it was awkward. And so – I would just leave the room. I was probably like a weirdo because it's just like, what's what? But like, you know, once I started coming up with my story, I had people reach out like, oh, snap. Like, that's the reason why you responded to X, Y, Z, you know? Mm. When you were diagnosed, what support were you able to get if you were able to get any support? Um, It took a while for me to find Beautiful You. And shout out to Amy. She actually created the group. But mm-hmm. I think I found Beautiful You about three months after I was diagnosed. Okay. And it played a huge role only because, like, I was able to talk to other people. And I realized it's not just a black or white, you know, condition. It's women in Africa. Right. You know, India. It's like they're all over the world. Australia. It is so interesting. What I will say, too, you know, what I like about the overall community is that they're welcoming. Like, when I go to these conferences, I literally don't feel like a black woman. I feel like my, don't get me wrong, I have, you know, my mom was, I'm just like, oh, shit. You know, you talk <laughs> about stuff I can't relate to. <laughs> I mean, just being real. Yeah. But it's like, you know, really just dope that when we're together, it's just love. Because it's like talking to someone who says they can't have children, it's devastating. But it's like, why do I say that? That sounds so insensitive. No. If, I'm trying to say it, like, correctly because I don't want to, like, offend anyone, but... <laughs> It's like having MRKH and talking to someone who's having difficulties, like getting pregnant, but they have had a child, it's different because it's like you went through it. So, yes, you understand right. 
you know, like what it's like, but she still had a baby. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. that's what gets me, you know? So, yeah. I'm beginning my damn nerves, but it's like, you know, just being around my community, just overall, is just beautiful. We relate, we can cry. And just to have somebody say, like, sis, I get you. Like, it is just so, like, it's just everything. So, how did you mentally prepare yourself? I mean, I don't know if you always if you if you knew that you always wanted to have kids or what that was like for you, but how how was it taking that news that you potentially probably wouldn't be able to have children? And how has it, it been in like dating and part being partnered and stuff like that? Yeah, um, processing it took a, a long time. I remember when I was 14, I had a dream I couldn't have children. Mm. And it was so weird because, right, and it's like, I'm a very spiritual person, so I don't know if my spirit was preparing me for that, because, of course, I found out four years later. But I kind of felt like something was wrong, mm. but I didn't know how to talk to my mom. Like, I didn't, even with my cycle, you know, we were just, you know, and I wasn't too concerned about it because my aunt got hurt when she was, like, pretty old. So she mm. was like, you know, we'll give it, you know, a couple years. Yeah, processing it took a lot of time. I just remember just going home, and I just, well, because it's like, like I said, the doctor was really mean, he told me. And then just being in high school and having my whole life planned out, I've always wanted to be a mom. I love kids. Like, mm. kids do really just, like, gravitate toward me. Right. It makes me feel like, too, like, do they gravitate toward me? Because they kind of feel that emptiness or, like, that, that yearning for motherhood. Mm-hmm. But they just cling to me. Um, dating. <laughs> it's gotten easier. <laughs> yeah, girl, dating. Um, <laughs> it was a hot mess in college. I mean, seriously, like when I think back to it, it was a lot because it's like trying to find myself, accepting a diagnosis, being in college. Like, it was just so much, just all at one time. Right. And so when I would meet a guy and I would tell him, I would just be hysterical. Girl, I was a mess. Like, I would cry like a baby. And, of course, men are just, like, they wear fixers. So, they would just look at me like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, yeah, like, what am you know, I supposed to do here? Much. I just I just wanted to get some, but you talking about... Right! <laughs> you can't have kids. Like, bruh. So, I used to scare dudes with that. I'm not going to lie. So, as I've gotten older, I had to definitely educate myself and then pull back from dating because mm. I felt like... I didn't know myself enough and I didn't love myself enough mm. to be with anybody. Gotcha. So it's gotten easier now because, like I said, I'm more mature. You know, like when I tell a guy, you know, I don't villainize him. If he doesn't want to be with me, if he, you know, doesn't think he can handle it, I just simply, like, you know, end it. You're not a bad person. It's just, it's not the journey you're meant to take with me. Mm. And that's why I try to tell women, you know, like, don't make these guys out to be, you know, bad dudes. Like, Everyone's not meant to be, you know, with you. And if they can't accept you, you know, with that, then it's like, you got to go. Right. So. so in what process in the dating, when do you bring this up? Like when you feel like you're getting serious with the person or? It varies. Okay. I try not to do it the first night or first week. <laughs> obviously, you don't know him. I'm so serious. Cause what's really funny is that, you know, what me and my friends from like the support group notice is that. You know, when white women tell, you know, their partners that, you know, they have a market age, they be getting married to them. But with black men, you just can't be that deep on a first date. So it's just like, shit, like, you know, you got to give them time to process. And it's just so interesting just how cultures are so different. But um, 
I usually just try to wait until I feel like it's going to go somewhere. Okay. Or he's mature enough to handle it. It just kind of, I just go with my gut feeling. But I've had, you know, more positive responses than negative. You know, mm-hmm. I had one guy, you know, tell me, I should have told him sooner. And I'm like, bro, it's been five days. Like, what the fuck? Like, it was just too much. So regardless, I just wait. As far as how I tell him, yeah. I just try to make sure, you know, like the environment is comfortable. I love pillow talks. I love car <laughs> rides. Cause it's just like, I don't know what it is. People just spirit should be so, I don't know, it's vulnerable. So, so I feel like that was worth to me. So do you typically say like, hey, I want to let you know something like, I don't know where you'd like to be in the future, but just FYI, like I can't have children or do you delve into your whole, you know, this is what I was diagnosed with. This is my situation. And end result, probably won't be able to have your baby. Ta-da! Like, yeah. how, how do you bring right, it? How do you know, like, it's a big, um, it's a big, I don't think I have a sudden, like, or a sudden, a, a yeah. certain approach yeah. to it. I just kind of go off the vibe because I don't want it to sound rehearsed. But mm. I know one thing that I do do is that when I talk to him, I tell him the complete, you know, my story, the condition, the surgery, because it's one of those things where I feel like if you halfway tell a person, they're going to have more questions than concerns. Mm. And when I do tell them, I make sure that, you know, I'm not emotional, I'm not crying, you know, I'm very assertive, I'm confident. And I try not to, I don't want to say not make it a big deal, but I'm just comfortable. So when they see that, you know, I'm cool and I'm not hysterical right. and I'm normal, it's just like, oh, shit, like that's really different. I've had a lot of guys really commend me. And even with my group, you know, like I have the, um, Instagram name on my bio and so some guys click it you know I'll talk about my takes they kind of overlook it but <laughs> it is a conversation that I do see that comes up a lot earlier mm. than I would like to but I mean it's just kind of like you know what comes with it just having a support group so when it comes to what I've what I've been gathering just from you know the amazing work that you're doing and just even from our conversation it seems like what would be helpful for folks with MRKH and just e- even other things dealing with folks' vaginas that we talk about how clinicians <laughs> play a role um, in getting care and how, you know, they're presenting the information. So what are some tips that you would give clinicians or folks in healthcare in how they have this conversation or bring this, this up with their patients? I would say focus on mental health first Mm, because sometimes you have doctors where they'll literally try to push, you know, the surgery and dilation, but depending on whatever age or, you know, like um, maturity level the woman is at, it's still a lot, Mm. you know, like whether you're dealing with a 14 year old or an 18, you know, she still has to have that moment to process it, but you know, you just kicking out all this information and surgery, it's just like, whoa, give me a second to really, you know, take it all in. And also, too, like, you know, really push the support groups, and I would say just be considerate and be kind. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, it is a hard diagnosis. It's just hard to live with because you go through so many phases. It's like, you go through, like, of course, being diagnosed, you go through the shock, you know, the acceptance. If you want to have children, you go through that process. It never ends. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that initial diagnosis, like I said, it really does determine really your life. And if you get that negative response or you just feel like, you know, your doctor, you like you were just an experiment, 
you're going to feel just like that. Mm. So compassion, of course, breaking down the yes. information <laughs> and making sure that they have resources to, yeah, to get like, more information. And then the contact. Right. Like, don't say you don't have a vagina. Just say vaginal canal. Like, I am so big on that. Because I'm telling you, since like I told you earlier, like, my Google MRKH. Yeah. It was just like the articles were just so sensationalized. And <laughs> it just makes you feel like a freak. Like, they love saying no vagina. Because obviously... You know, I, I work in in uh, media. Yeah. When you see no vagina, it's like a, a it's a what's gonna call it attention grabber. You get clicks, you get likes. You know what I'm saying? But you're not really considering the fact that this woman is most likely going through it, trying to you know accept herself and you know, you, girl, you question your sexuality sometimes. Mm. I know that I did. You question your purpose. It's not one of those things that you just quickly get over. Yeah. And other times, I'm speaking from you know my perspective, but. It takes time. So definitely context as well. Like, don't don't be so brash. Like, when you say no vagina, it makes you feel like, you know, am I a man? And go, like, what am I kind of thing, you know? <laughs> like, what's down there? What's, <laughs> what's going on back there? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> right. It freaks you out. <laughs> no, you're right. And I think, and that's the thing that I couldn't understand when I kept reading about it. I was just like, what y'all, what do you, even when we were talking at the beginning of this, I was just like, what you mean that you don't have a, wait, what? I don't get it. Break it down for me. Because it's just not something that you're ever used to hearing. And it's like, what? Like, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just kind it's just, it's just out there. So I do think it's just interesting to bring it up. But it also makes me think about something that I always encourage folks to come to my workshops to do is like, look at your body, know your body. Of course, this is why I created Vagisteam so that folks can like know the parts and know their functions and stuff like that. So how was your sex ed growing up? Because I'm curious as to when we were talking earlier, when you were like, I never thought to like look down there or, you know, do anything down there because, you know, you were living your life per usual. And I think that's normal for a lot of women. They don't really take the time to take a look. So if you could walk me back through like your sex ed and just like even learning about your body, when do you think that really happened for you? And why do you think you did not pay as much attention when you were younger? Honestly, that's a good question. You just don't know. That's really all it is to it. I'm not going to lie. I never thought to, you know, put a finger up there, you know. And like I said, sex says back then, I'm 29. Yeah. It was just so general, you know, like they don't <laughs> tell you anything. You know, my mom, we had a good, like, you know, relationship, but we right. didn't talk about sex. Right. You know, so it wasn't like I knew. And then when I tried to, you know, lose my virginity, I... I noticed that, of course, he couldn't get inside. I was talking to my best friend. He told me what to do. It still ain't work. I couldn't let my mama. She could be like, oh, you know what I'm saying? Like, it would have been, she would have been upset with me. And I don't think she would have honestly thought twice about it because right. you simply just don't know. And that's what's so amazing. Because like you said, you would think that I would have noticed it, but, you know, I'm not thinking about it. That's so interesting. And so that means you also didn't have, like, vaginal discharge and like stuff in your underwear to indicate like oh the vagina is like doing what it's supposed to do it's cleaning itself and this is the the result of that we i have i have vaginal discharge even before my surgery i had it you know of course i still get wet you know i got a normal you know coochie so i just thought my <laughs> body was getting ready to you know that's so but that's what's so interesting to me so like how is all this stuff happening that Janae, walk me, 
<laughs> I feel like I'm I being. Okay, uh-huh. how are you having discharge when there was no vag? Lord, help me. Okay, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I remember being 14. Yeah. And you know how like you start getting, you know, your hormones start kicking. Of course. Like, you know, you start to secrete when you get wet. You right. know, like, I would still get wet, so I don't know all of the, you know, shit like that. But I don't know. I was still having normal bodily fluids, like. And they were there. <laughs> Yo, this is. And just... I want to get brown spots too. I don't know. It just, how it felt does like that happen? But that's the uh-huh. that's the thing that doesn't make any sense. If you don't, if a person doesn't have the equipment <laughs> to have, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to dig deep. I'm gonna have to dig deep. Somebody out there is gonna have because that's a good question. I just know that because that's the thing. When you were like, I still get cramps. Coming. I'm like, but you said you don't have a uterus, so where are the cramps coming from? And if you're spotting, like, where is that? Where is that building up? And I guess. Okay. It's so interesting. You know, that's a good question. If, no, definitely, because like I said, I never thought about it, honestly. And yeah. I'm going to definitely look that up. I'm going to talk to some of my, um, <laughs> my medical friends. Because even... We're going to have to do another part two. Yeah, even though, like, yeah, we might have to do a part two, because even when I was looking up, like, the Wikipedia pages, of course, here we go with people with the vague information, but that's... but. Yeah. There you go. Like what you were talking about, when you say you don't have a vagina, you don't have a vaginal canal, you don't have a uterus... These functions that we're taught are coming from these body parts. So I think we're all thinking that like, oh, if you don't have one of them, then you're not getting wet or you're not, you know, spotting or you're not having period symptoms or you're not cramping because the cramping's in the uterus. So it was just so fascinating to learn that, you know, these things are still kind of sort of happening, which I guess wouldn't set the alarm bells off for somebody unless they tried to, like you said, have, have sex, sex or they right. try and have a baby or they're having a or they're having painful sex and not really understanding why. So it's just a medical mystery, Janae. What? And like I said, it's so much research being done. Like I said, I'm yeah. an expert. You know, I just try to speak from <laughs> my own experience because, no, so I'm telling you, like, when I meet other women, yeah, it's just phenomenal to me. I'm just like, you go for that? Like, I would say out of everyone that I've met, I've met a lot of women, like, a lot over, like, the past couple of years. I want to say that I'm just super blessed. You know, like, I haven't really had any negative responses except for, like, from two assholes. Like I said, I don't have any of the, you know, other issues as far as, like, the spinal and the hearing. And, you know, I got a gallbladder from what I understand. When they did my surgery, they did notice. And I guess they they looked at my ovaries when they were in there, and they said they are healthy. So I will mm. be able to, you know, do IVF and do asparagus and all of that. So. That's awesome. Are you th- are you thinking about doing that in the future, or are you just kind of like, I'm chilling? No, nah, not now. <laughs> not right now. I'm yeah. going to do like a career transition and have my support group. Right. I'll probably start considering that next year. I'm not sure what that looks like for me because that's something I want to do with a partner. And what right. sucks is too, like, it costs so much to have yeah. a baby. Like, infertility, it's like, it just gives me anxiety when I think about it. And so I just try to just go about my normal day. My mom puts pressure on me because she wants, she does, she wants grandchildren and she wants me to get the process hard before I get too old. And mm-hmm. which I get it, but you know, it's just like one of those things where you know, I want to be ready. You know what I'm right. saying? Because of course, it's a lot. 
Children, you're my mother's cough. <laughs> no, ab- so. who are you telling? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. In your case, because you have the ovaries, would your process look like they would extract the eggs and then potentially, and then, like you said, get a surrogate to carry? Yeah, that would be my process. I know they just did, um, and don't quite, I think it was Kayla Evans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she just had um, a successful uterus transplant about three weeks to a month ago. Get out. I know Australia. Mm-hmm. And that was so huge in our community because it's just, it gives you hope. Now, I don't know if I would do it. <laughs> At this point, I'm kind of scared because it's yeah. a lot. Right. But, like, you know, the more that they do it, I'll get more comfortable. Like I said, Kayla's baby is freaking gorgeous. Right. I don't think she had any major complications. I have to look more into her story. Right. But I know, like, you know, she posted in, like, you know, one of the support group pages, the baby was born, you know, it's healthy. And I was like, thank God. So at least it would be an option if I'm brave enough to do it. <laughs> so It's so fascinating. Even, like, I mean, because, like, there's pages and pages and pages. But it's interesting that there's pages and pages about something that has not been extensively researched and something that, you know, like you're saying, that that is potentially uncommon. And so for people to... Yeah, for people to get the information that they need or to feel brave enough to, like, find a support group or be able to talk about it or talk about their feelings does require, you know, does re- does require a lot. So, Janae, I learned, I'm, I'm like, still intrigued. I think I'm going to go to bed tonight and I'm still going to be, like, <laughs> putting all the pieces together and trying to figure everything out. And wait, wait, before we, before we leave, though. When, uh-huh. we're, when you were talking about, you know, you talked to us about your procedure. You talked to, I like how you said, my coochie does all the things. How, how like, functionality-wise, like, you feel sensation, et cetera, like. Oh, yeah, everything is there. Clearance is there, the G-spot. It's, okay, so we have, like, external um, genitalia. So you have, yes, so you have the external. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, like, that's there. So even if a guy were to see me. He'd be like, okay, you know, it looks, it's obviously normal. And even, like, as far as the tightness, I mean, I have to do use, like, definitely, like, lube, because, like, you know. Yes. And that's another thing, too, child. It's, like, it's a lot of pressure, I feel like, from doctors and definitely, like, you know, parents and caretakers. It's, like, as a woman, well, in my case, so it makes you feel like if you don't use it, you lose it kind of thing. Mm. And it's, like, they kind of have a point, but at the same time, too, it kind of pressures you to have sex, you know? Interesting. And even my mom, like, she meant well, and I'm not trying to dog her out, but, of you know, course. like, she wanted the surgery to obviously be worth it and all of that, but it's like, I want to make sure that I'm making that choice and right. I'm not just having sex because I'm trying to like, preserve my surgery. Right. You know what I'm like, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. Trying to keep my vagina open right. here. Right, I'll make sure I'm staying open, but, like, no, I have, like, a satisfying sex life. You know, and I try to really push that out there, too, because when I was younger, I was thinking that same thing. Like, dang, like, will I ever enjoy sex? But I do. So, yes. <laughs> we get orgasms, all of that, too. Like I said, it's just a little tight. Well, actually, just, it is tight. It's tighter than I feel like. Right. Right, you know, all women's, like, vaginas, like, contract when they're dealing with a man. But I haven't got any complaints, so. Oh, come <laughs> on, somebody. She said, um, listen, coochie. <laughs> on a hundred, ain't nothing going That's on here. <laughs> we, good. We, we think it's Steve. <laughs> so Janae, I my mom is gonna kill me. But um, <laughs> Janae, I learned so much from you. I thank you for teaching us something that 
I mean, I can just speak for myself. I never heard of it before, so I appreciate you making the time, telling us all about MRKH, educating us, educating us on especially how to, you know, process and, you know, the importance of having support is something that I am learning from you and how important it is to really have a village. So where can listeners find you? Do you have any upcoming events? And how can we support your work? Thank you, girl. Okay. (laughs) So definitely find me on Instagram. My name is the letter B and then natural. So the letter B, N-A-T-U-R-A-L, 13. You can also find me on Facebook, Janae Cook. And you can follow the page, Sisters Surviving Infertility. That's one word, underscore. And if you want to, like, you know, reach out, you know, you want to learn more, have me speak, you know, you can definitely do that. As far as the support group itself, though, it is for black women only with MRKH. Mm-hmm. I've had women like, you know, listen to podcasts with me and Sonara and they try to join. I'm like, ah, sis, we can't do that. <laughs> and also too, my uh, Gmail account or Gmail, my email account, cookjanae, and that's C-O-O-K-J-A-N-A-Y at gmail.com. Awesome. Oh, and also too, I'm working on a uh, blog. Yeah. It's called, I'm so excited. So it should be <laughs> out next week. I'm trying to get it out there because I've been like sitting on this since May. It's a spinoff of Blackish. It's called Infertile-ish. Hey! So, that's my project. Woo-hoo! I so, see you. Now we're talking about MRKH, infertility, self-care, you know, just myself, all that kind of stuff. So, My girl. last question for you is, how do you build your vagisteem? So, vagisteem... I coined the term years ago and basically um, basically saying that if folks learn to love and also know about their parts, their vaginas and their vulvas, that they're more likely to have satisfying um, and healthier sex lives. So how do you build your vagisty? I like that question. I saw on the, um, the email. I was like, oh, my God. Um, how do I build vagisty? I'm very vocal during sex. Like if a guy, if we're doing a position at, it's not comfortable for me. Like, I will let them know. This hurts. So, yes. definitely being vocal. Yeah, I am. I'm so, up, like, I'm upset because I feel like sex to me should not be selfish. If I'm sitting up there, like, uncomfortable and come, it's going to make me feel some kind of way because I ain't get mine. Like, that's just selfish. <laughs> but that's just honoring myself. Being, like, definitely vocal. Um, I just said I'm very spiritual. So, oh, dang, I'm talking about a lot. Okay, so, <laughs> real quick. Because <laughs> we're going to be a whole other, like, 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> Um, I read this book called, um, oh, my God, Sacred Woman by Queen of Fool, mm-hmm. I think it is. Yeah, Sacred yeah, I heard Woman. of it. Okay, cool. So she does, like, you know, womb meditations. And so the book was scary to me because it's these different journeys that you go through. And it, like, it deals with, you know, self-care, eating. It's, like, based on, like, the, you know, Egyptian kinetic, you know, uh, diet. And it's real, real deep. So, for me, I had to come up with my own, like, word for womb because I don't technically have a womb. But I call my womb, quote-unquote, like, you know, my love space. Mm-hmm. So I'm very particular with who I sleep with, yes. who I'm intimate with, because, like, you know, you're transferring that energy into me. And if you don't have the right intentions, if you don't, you know, want to support me, love me, I can't deal. So that's my vagisteen tips love your vagina you know don't be sleeping with just ending everybody you know do yeah be, ooh, be safe and that's one thing too and i want people to know like especially with my age like if you can't have kids like that it doesn't mean don't have sex without a condom 
You know, because mm. STDs and AIDS are real. And, you know, sometimes you talk about it in a group, like, you know, should I not wear a condom? Like, you know, if you're not in a committed relationship, don't look at, you know, that is let me just go out there and just have a protect sex. Like, no. So I just wanted to push that out there, too. So, yeah, wrapping it up. I think I just gave you, like, five points. I like it. <laughs> no, I like it. I love it. <laughs> And I so appreciate you coming on to teach us. I cannot wait to see what you do next. I love the blog. I can't wait till it pops off. And we can't, you know, we can't wait to support you. So keep it up. Thank you so much for educating us and putting us on to something that, listen, I was stumped on. <laughs> like I said, it's just, it's so much to take in first here. And that's why. Like I said, I have to tell someone the complete story. Because you can't have stuff it. Because it's just like, you hear one thing, and it's just like, all these hurdles. Like, what the hell? It's just like, right. you just keep on going. People are like, oh, shit. Like, it just gets deep. So, yeah, girl. Like, thank you for having me on. I was so nervous at first. <laughs> so, you definitely, like, calmed me down. I'm still getting used to, like, you know, podcast interviews. And I'm such an open person. I'm trying not to you know, tell too much. No. So I'm trying to like figure out my boundaries. So No, tell it, know. tell it all. You have, you have an amazing gift to share and you have good information to share. Um, even for the people who are not, who are not, who don't even have MRKH because we can just learn so much. And all of the lessons that you share are lessons that we should all, you know, definitely think about like, how do we handle certain conversations? When do we have certain conversations? How do we bring it up? How do we have protected sex? So I think all of the things that you're sharing, please don't be afraid to share. You got it. Right. And one more thing, too. And I yeah. keep talking. Now I'm comfortable. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Now I'm going to keep talking. But no, as far as like my MRK sisters, like as far as sharing your story, do it at your own pace. Because for me, I first came out about it. I didn't really touch upon it. But I came out about MRK on Facebook and Instagram. Um, it was before my surgery on social media. And like I said, I got positive responses for it, but, you know, I became vocal when mm. I was ready. And I don't want, you know, women to, or just people, but you have some women who don't, you know, identify as a woman. So I want to be like gender neutral, yes. but you have people who, you know, feel like they have to share it, you know, and it's just like, don't do it for yourself. Cause it's like, it's a lot. I've heard horror stories where I felt like people shared it too soon and it backfired because mm. if you're not emotionally ready for the feedback, that'll push your journey back further than it was to begin with. You know what I'm saying? So just share your story when you're ready with the right people, when you're comfortable, you know, don't feel pressured. So I just want to leave the audience with that. So I'm going to shut up now. (laughs) Thank you, Janae. (laughs) Thank you for having me. You are so welcome.